and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. I'm Danielle. This is our Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy comics and all the other titles. We have an awesome reading order that Mark Tweedell made for us, and now Danielle's going to tell you all about it. Ah, Mark Tweedell. Book Club member. That's right. And co-host. We're going we're gonna to read a comic book, and we're going to tell you what we're going to read, and you're going to read it. And then we're going to talk about what we read, and you're going to listen to us talk about what we read. And then you're going to talk about what we talked about when we talked about what we read. And then we're going to talk about what you talked about when you talked about what we were talking about, what we read. And that's Hey Damn Guys, and that's Friendship, and that's a book club. Back to you, John. Yeah. so good. Very good. Excellent. <laughs> Give hey, us a comment. That's how that works. We can't hear you talking oh. yeah. while you're at home. We're trying or to, Or in though. the car. Yeah. We can't do it. Yeah. I mean, if you recorded yourself and emailed it to us, then we'd hear you. We yeah, then that's we could true. hear you. That's true. Do that. Okay. We haven't had one of those in forever. I got some shouts outs for this week. Shouts outs. Shouts outs. Yes. I wanted to shout out our dear friend, Jerry Turnbull. Jerry Turnbull. Book club member. Yeah. If you um, follow Mike Mignola's art, that's an awesome Facebook group. Um, one of the only reasons why I get on Facebook is to follow that group and all the cool stuff that they share. And Jerry, uh, he's a big part of that group. And I just wanted to give him a shout out. I was thinking about him lately because he had like a pretty significant death in the family. Yeah. Yeah. And then like a couple days later, he retired. Yeah. And I was like, those are two big yeah. life events that happen like pretty quickly. And that's a lot, you that's know, a lot. that's a lot to go through. And so, you know, I just wanted to give him a shout out, let him know that we're thinking about I'm him. Thinking and, about you, buddy. And congratulations on your awesome long nursing career, you know, and I'm glad that hopefully you get some time to sit around and read some more Hellboy comics. Yeah. Um, make sure to check out that Facebook group if you haven't. And I also wanted to shout out Brennan Wagner. Brennan Wagner. Book club member. Yes, an amazing artist and colorist. Um, he's the colorist for the current Hellboy books that have been coming out. Ooh. And uh, Brennan is awesome. You should definitely follow him on social media. I'll link his social media stuff in the show notes. But he's been tagging us recently in his stories. Has he? Nice. Yeah, he's been sharing some Hellboy stuff in his stories on Instagram. And he's been tagging our group in there. So okay. I thought that was really cool. Thank you so much, Brennan, for the uh, for the attention. Thank you. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Yes. And now we're going to move on to our listener feedback. Listener feedback. Get out, trades and floppies. Get out, hardback copies. Digital is fine. Read along in time. Get out, trades All right. Um, on our last episode, we read the Young Hellboy we did. story. That was a lot of fun. We did do that. Um, and we got some feedback from that. We heard from Peter Winthrop. Peter Winthrop. Book club member. He said, hey, you damn guys. I enjoyed the Tin Tin movie. Okay. So he actually okay. did like it. Right on. He said, I haven't read the comics, so I'm not sure about the adaptation level. However, it was a good one. It feels like a Spielberg adventure movie in the Indiana Jones mold. Mostly realistic action, except for some scenes where you yell, that can't happen. <laughs> The hero uses his intellect and knowledge to solve problems, not just punching the hardest or leveling up his suit of armor or special magic powers. I would say give it a shot. It's fun, well-written, good voice actors. Yeah, thank you. He also said, my favorite spinoffs are the pre-Hellboy BPRD stories. That's a spinoff, right? Yeah, BPRD yeah. is a spinoff from yeah. Hellboy. I enjoyed the past setting, the BPRD trying to figure out what they're doing, and the lower stakes. Yeah. The street level kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, which is why I always enjoy the runs of Hellboy and BPRD in the 1950s. I'm eagerly awaiting the trade for 1957. By the way, when will that be out digitally? 
I don't know. Um, <laughs> but if you but but if you get on um, Mike Mignola's art on Facebook, you know Mark Tweedell, book club member, he always posts like a solicitation thread. Yes, and it has like all the solicitations of upcoming stuff that's coming out. And so I love looking at that and being like, oh, there's a book that I have to get next month or whatever. So um, yeah, check that out. We'll keep you updated on when. Hellboy and the BPRD 1957 comes out. Because we're going to read it. (laughs) Yes, we sure will. Excellent. We also heard from Ross Radke. Ross Radke. Book club member. He said, this story definitely feels like it was aiming at a younger audience, which is totally appropriate. A book a parent can read to their kid who is too young to appreciate the classic Hellboy comics. I hope Scarlet Santiago gets a miniseries. Would be fun to draw. Hey, let's let's ha- let's make this happen. Yeah. Scarlet Santiago miniseries by Ross Radke. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> we also had a hey you guy some Thaddeus Papke. Thaddeus Papke. Book club member. Thaddeus says, I only recently found your podcast and I'm still working through the backlog. I might skip ahead to this one, though, as it is so unconnected to most of the stories. Also, I love me some Tintin. Yeah, you could. You could. I think you could jump to this one. We, we might talk about some spoilers, I think. He also said, I first found Hellboy during the marketing push for the first movie when there was a reprint of The Corpse Being Sold in Comic Shops for 25 cents. After that, I was hooked. I got my degree in folklore studies, so the way that Mignola didn't just use tropes from folklore, but really bit into and played around with the folklore themes spoke to me like nothing else ever has in comics. Wow. Nice. Very cool. That's impressive. Yeah, and congratulations awesome. on your degree. That's awesome. On your degree in folklore. That's incredible. Yes. I'm sincerely impressed with that. I love it. That's so cool. That's great. We also heard from Finn Eckriff. Finn Eckrip. Book club member. Yeah. Moin, guys. First of all, I have to say that Aubrey pronounced the Moin Moin und Hallo in your latest episode pretty good. <laughs> it's the phrase that at Chaz underscore Ashley, parentheses Gregor Cartsios, usually used to start his Plauschangriff, one of the oldest and most legendary nerd podcasts in Germany. Oh, cool. That's pretty cool. Awesome. Moin is a typical greeting in northern Germany. It means good morning, but it's used whether it's morning or evening. In Hamburger, people would say it twice, moin moin. Everywhere else in the north, people just say moin, and they usually stretch it to a moin and pronounce <laughs> it in a very laid-back way. You can think of it as a Y when pronouncing it. Then it's more moin or mo- moin. Okay. I don't know how I'm saying I think I'm probably not doing this right. I think Pronunciation Aubrey, corners back. <laughs> I think Aubrey should have done this one since Aubrey was the one who did a good job <laughs> before. I also have to thank you, John, for reading out my letter so well in the listener feedback episode. You are one hell of an outreader. I'm not sure if the word outreader exists. In Germany, we say Vorleser. My English is so rusty. I probably translate a lot too directly. That's great, though. We yeah. love it. That's fine and awesome. And I have to agree with Danielle. <laughs> Let's see what he agreed with me about. Uh, Clutch is more of a psychedelic rock band than a metal band. Mm. Okay. Yeah. They're very. They're okay. like psychedelic rock. They're like space rock. Sure. Stoner rock. I like that. I went through a long phase of listening to stoner rock and doom metal bands like Nebula, Fatso, Jetson, and Sleep. That's how I know Clutch. I wasn't sure, but I think I remember you mentioning Clutch once on your podcast. Several times, yes, probably. Yeah. Probably. We love Clutch. I'm sure you talked about the Mars Volta because I listened to them for the first time properly afterwards. Now I know what Mastodon are doing all the time. Yes, I think we have in past episodes talked about all those bands. Either us or listeners commenting in. 
You guys have banned. Is there some of your stuff online? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so I sent him some stuff from from our band. Yeah. Our, our band. Oh, that's uh, nice. You can uh, find a link in the show notes if you're interested in that. We've got uh, a new album coming out pretty soon, which is yeah, just mixing yeah. it. We're about to send it to get mastered. So I'm that's excited. exciting. Yeah. Thank you so much, Finn. Great to hear from yes, you. Yes, Finn. Nice to hear from you. That was fun. We also heard from Andrew Adair. Andrew Adair. Book club member. He said, the best part is when John asked if gorillas were apes. In the, in the episode. Uh, I forgot about that. But it was funny because um, he posted a screen grab. I forgot about this. So remember in Hellboy Conqueror Worm, we read that like a long time ago. Yeah. Hellboy fights uh, Von Klemp. And he, uh, he finds out that Von Klemp has turned all the Kriegrofs or whatever, the yeah. gorillas into these robot whatever. There's one panel where Hellboy goes, they were monkeys. And Von Klemp goes, apes. And so he, him, yeah. so he posted that. He posted that little caption right Good under stuff. it. So yeah, thank you, Andrew. I think we'll be hearing your Witchfinder theme later in this episode. Witchfinder. Witchfinder. We also heard from Mark Tweedell. Mark Tweedell. Book club member. Yes. Sometimes co-host. Yes. That's true. Um, so I posted the comparison of the cover of Young Hellboy number one and Tintin the Black Island. And Mark said... Um, they are also both similar in that they both find an ape that they befriend. In both stories, Tintin finds an ape that he befriends, and then Young Hellboy finds the... Ah, uh, I forgot what the gorilla was called. I don't remember. Anymore. I don't know. Why are you looking at me? I, I would be the last person at this table to know what that is. Uh, <laughs> now I have to look this up. I thought it was like Ungar. Ungat sure, let's go with that. Ungat. That's what it is. It's no, Ungar. It's, it's Ungar. It's Ungar. Ungar. You were pretty close. It was pretty close. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, we also heard from Christopher Egan. Christopher Egan. Book club member. I don't know if you guys remember, there was this one like scare scene in there, and I was like, this is a reference to a horror thing. Let me bother new dad Christopher Egan. Yes, I remember. For yeah. some horror Oh, trivia. yes, what happened with that? He said, uh, I was happy to help. To set the scene, I was in a recliner with Amelia on my chest, my phone on the arm of the chair, and a graphic novel I just finished on my lap. It was a cozy moment to discuss horror. So sweet. That sounds nice. Awesome. Super cute. Yeah, thank you, Chris. And uh, I also wanted to thank Ryan Yule and Jerry Turnbull. Ryan book club Yule members. and Jerry Turnbull, book club members. Book club members. Yes. Um, they shared some of their original art. So, of course, Ryan has yes. like three pages yeah. from the Young Hellboy comic. Oh, of course he does. Some really cool ones. So I'll post those in our Instagram stories. Um, That's awesome. He also has a commission by Craig Rousseau of Hellboy with Scarlet Santiago. Oh, wow. So that was awesome. pretty cool. And uh, Jerry Turnbull has uh, a remark like I do. And it's little Hellboy. He's going, whoa. Cute. Yeah. Oh, so cute. So it was really cool. So I'll make posts for both of those this week so you can check those out. Thank you guys for sharing those. All right. And now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. We sure are, John. And this week we're reading some Hellboy Winter Special short stories. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wishful thinking on our part over here. I know, Texas. right? We we need some winter specials we over sure here. Do. Yeah, we really, we really do. do. <laughs> um, but well, let's not skip autumn. Yeah, but I wish it would get here. Yes, I'm very yes. excited. We have for some it. cool spooky times coming up next. Sure month. do. We're gonna have some great shows. Next well, I've month, already started so, yeah. spooky times. Yes, in September. So uh, the Hellboy winter specials—they have some great short stories in them, but we haven't covered a lot of those stories because they haven't been collected anywhere. I also kind of want to talk about some of the uh, omnibuses that have come out because yeah. with this first story, we're talking about. The Lobster Johnson Omnibus. This looks great. Yeah. This looks it's so great. awesome. I love this. I was flipping through it, 
um, just checking out the omnibus and uh, the Burning Hand is like one of my favorite yeah, stories. Oh, absolutely. That's like one of the best oh, yeah. ones. And, For uh, sure. I love the art in there. I love looking back on those Lobster Johnson stories. Just some really good stuff in there. Yeah, I was uh, flipping through it today when I got here and it was just like, oh man, that's so nice. <laughs> yeah, it makes me want to like read through all those again. You know what I mean? Burning Hand is a good one, yeah. We spread them out, so it'd be nice to, it'd be interesting to kind of just read them straight through. Yeah, and I was actually thinking, um, I can link it in the show notes, if you want to revisit any of those episodes, you know, we've covered all the stories in that <laughs> Lobster Johnson omnibus. We've covered all of them, especially now today, starting today, everything that's in that omnibus Are you going to list all of those episode numbers, John? Yeah, I'm going to list them in the show notes. Awesome. There you go. Yes. You guys can check those out if you want. Um, but the story that we're talking about today is The Empty Chair. This is a short story that was featured in the Hellboy Winter Special 2018, written, illustrated, and colored by Tanchi Zanich. Letters by Clem Robbins. So this is Tanchi Zanich. Written, illustrated, and colored. Yeah, this is his writing debut. Amazing. Uh, so that was really cool, you know? He's been writing the Lobster Johnson stories for so long, and they're like, hey, show us what you got, you or whatever. write it and you know, draw it and color it. Yeah, but I mean, who better to do something like that? He's oh, totally, like, yeah. You know, all of this lobster stuff has been filtered through him for yeah. so many years. Yeah. So, so cool that he got to write a story. <clears throat> Another interesting thing is, this story takes place in 1930, so it makes it the first Lobster Johnson story, like, of all the ones that we've read. Oh, really? Chrono oh. Chronologically speaking. Oh, interesting. And it's collected in the Lobster Johnson Omnibus 1. It's the first story in there. So, um, pretty cool. I love this one. So, we open in New York City in 1930. These three mobsters sit around a table with an empty chair for the fourth member. As the mobsters talk, we learn that the fourth chair is left open for Boss Stasio, who was killed in 1926. So they keep him there. They keep it there empty as a symbolic gesture. But they also don't want to split the money four ways, right? right? They're like, let's just keep it between the three of us. And they talk about how, I guess, people are trying to fill that fourth seat. But they're all disrespectful thugs like that pretty boy Calorie. So they mention that guy, right? I guess that's their <laughs> nemesis or whatever. So... Um, th there's some great gangster names in here. And so I, of course I had to look all these up. Pretty boy calorie. I thought that might be a reference to Charles Arthur Floyd, who was nicknamed pretty boy Floyd. He was an American bank robber and he operated in the West and central United States. And, uh, his criminal exploits gained widespread press coverage in the 1930s. He was positively seen by the public because during the robberies, it was believed that he would burn mortgages. Nice. So, oh, like, okay. <laughs> he was freeing people from having baller. to pay that stuff yeah. or whatever. So, so anyway. Well, I mean, that's before computers. I yeah, guess. yeah. So there's no <laughs> record of it if you burn the paper right. that you signed. That's incredible. So, anyway, um, the mobsters, they want the chair to stay empty. They also want to go to war against Pretty Boy Calorie, but avoid a full-on gang war. Are you talking about these, these names here? I, Vinny I the String, Skinny <laughs> Joe Lincoln. Zuko Banana. These are great, Love right? Those names. Fantastic. Zuko Banana. So, of course, you know, I had to look these up too, right? So, Vinny the String, I was thinking that that might be a reference to Tino Fumara, who was known as the Greek. That was his mobster name. Okay. But but he was uh he was kind of uh, notorious because he allegedly garroted a mob associate with a string of piano wire. The fuck? That's incredible. So he was called the Greek, and this guy's called the string. Jeez. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. And this guy actually no, killed someone with a string. Yeah, so yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. maybe. Sure. I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching. Who knows? It's pretty um, good. 
this one guy in the middle is Skinny Joe Lincoln. <laughs> there was a mobster called uh, Joseph Salvatore, Skinny Joe Merlino. So Skinny, okay. Skinny okay. Joey Merlino. He was an Italian-American mobster in the 60s. And he was the boss of the Philadelphia crime family. And then Zuko Banana... I love that name. <laughs> love it. Uh, I thought it might be a reference to two different mob characters. One is a fictional character um, from the Batman comics, uh, Tony Zuko. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. He's uh, he's the mobster responsible for murdering the parents of Dick Grayson in the Batman comics. At a circus. And then there was also another mobster named Joseph Charles Bonanno, and they called him Joe Bananas. Sure. So Zuko <laughs> Banana, I was yeah. thinking maybe, or I don't know, maybe okay. it's just a cool name. But like, there are some historical references. And uh, so this guy was an Italian-American crime boss of the Bonanno crime family, which ran from 1931 to 1968. So anyway, a lot of research just for these mobster names. I, You know I had to look <laughs> them up. Um, so these guys, they don't want to go in a full-on gang war with Pretty Boy Calorie. So one of them has an idea. Zuko Banana says... We use this new lobster wingnut that's been trying to strike fear into the hearts of criminals, etc. He signs his work. I say we forge the signature. And so we see they have their little, like... Uh, their brand. brand. Yeah, they have a brand with the lobster thing on One there. One of them right? lights a cigarette with the brand. Yeah. Very good. Um, we see that they're operating out of a van that says goods, dry goods. There's a lot of businesses with goods in front of it. And there is like a goods grocery store that's, uh, I think it's a chain that's across the United States and they would sell dry goods I there. I think that's so. just meant to be a generic yeah. kind of a thing. There's a ton of places like that. But anyway, I had to look it up. Yeah, there's a really well, good barbecue if, place here in Houston called Goods. Yeah. Say, especially if you're a mob place though. Right, right. No, but yeah, like if you're a mob front, you want it to be very nondescript, generic. You don't want to call them very much attention to it, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I feel like goods, yeah. dry goods is one of those sort of <laughs> yeah, very right. bland. So we see Harry, the lobster's right-hand man, right? I love Harry from the Lobster comics. And he's found all the Pretty Boy Calories guys. And he's telling the lobster, they didn't even get the claw right. Plagiarize justice. <laughs> That was one of my favorite lines. That was one of my favorite one-liners. When I saw this panel, I was like, oh, this is one of the best Lobster Johnson one-liners ever. Plagiarized justice. Um, But Harry's like, hey, well, good riddance if you ask me. He saved us the hassle, but the Lobster says, it's my job to keep score. I thought that was interesting. So, like, he's like, I'm going to decide who dies and who doesn't or whatever. You know what I mean? So that kind of taps into, as we've read the Lobster comics, you know, he's a little unhinged, right? A little. A little yeah. bit. You it's know? a lot. And, it's a lot uh, unhinged. So I, I like this comment where he's like, it's my job to keep score. That gives you some insight he's on absolutely like. absolutely deranged. Yeah, his motivations <laughs> yeah. and everything. He tells Harry, we're late again. We need to get closer. And Harry's like, and before Calorie runs out of goons, right? It's because they're trying to kill all his goons. So we cut to Harry. He's dressed one, as one of these Salvation Army Santas. Ringing the little bell in front of a storefront. I really like that detail. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And then uh, this was in the winter special, right? So a lot of these stories have like a winter theme to them. Oh, it's so, just like Santa. Here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's his undercover. I know, right? It's his ruse. <laughs> I love that ding sound effect, too. Just a great font right there. Uh, Tanchi always has great sound effects. That is a great effects. font. And we see some of Pretty Boy Calories guys, and they're all scared, you know? Uh, they're like, ah... Uh, with a lobster fell on our asses, even Santa Claus's makes me look jumpy, one guy says. I like how the O's in goods, like the dry goods sign, like they that comes up like that's a window for their Tommy guns. Oh, yeah. That's a nice little detail when they all get shot. 
I do like this one little gag where he's like, lobster, what, was muscle man taken? Muscle? Because it's like yeah. another yeah. seafood or sea whatever creature. anyway. And he's supposed to be some sort of muscle man. Right, right. So we see Harry and the lobster are tracking the guys uh, inside the van. I guess those are the three mobsters that are inside, right? They've shot all oh, yeah. the pretty boy calories. Guys, this is awesome because, like, it's the 1930s, so they, they can't, like, track him. And he, so, like, no. what? So Harry jumps on the back of the van and he's ringing the Santa Bell. And then the lobster is running across the rooftops following it. That is so friggin' cool. That's pretty, pretty awesome. I love the lobster running across rooftops. That is, like, so awesome. Uh, Tanshi just does an awesome job with the lobster. I mean, like getting into this little short story, I was just like, ah, like all the, yeah. all the memories and all the. No awesome. one does the lobster quite like Tanshi. Yeah, yeah, just really great. I like this one little detail too, where he's like, one of the guys is like, I know it's wrong, but the smell always makes me hungry. Oh, so gross. I've always oh, thought of that too, yeah. right? Because he's branding those guys, you know, all I think the time. It would smell horrible, you would think. Right. <laughs> So we cut to them. They're unloading all the dead bodies, right? In the shape of a claw, it looks like. Oh, yeah, you're right. Very... Yeah. yeah. He's like, come on. We don't have time to be this fancy. He goes, didn't you ever hear showmanship? <laughs> very grim. So they get inside the van and they're like, all right, uh, we'll drop off the rest on 55th. And then they turn around. The driver's hairy and he like dings a little bell there. Then they hear a voice. No guns. Justice. The real thing. These two panels with the hands yeah. glowing. Oh, so good. So great. Well, I love this panel of the lobster crawling out from under the dead bodies. Yes. Like, that's <laughs> fucking intense. You know what I mean? Like, it's pretty creepy. These these two panels, though, with the... Um, with the hand. Yeah. yeah really really good. Uh, so this last page is incredible. I love this last page. We just get, like, the lobster pulling out that empty chair and then sitting in it. And then we reveal... The three mobsters are in their chairs, and they've all been branded, and they're dead by the lobster. Absolutely grisly. He had to carry all of them there and put them in the chairs. I know. He's and like, then sit there. I'm going to make a point out of this. Yeah. To who? <laughs> to himself. He's the... He's the to, to justice. Yes, exactly. He's the, he's the one who... It's his job to keep score, so that's what he's doing right there, I guess. I like this thing where it's like, this worked out great for me. A little side note, uh, pretty boy calorie killed by lobster in spring of 32. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they were trying to go after him. And so I guess it was good for him in the short run. But right. eventually he got killed by the lobster. Let's see that story. I don't know if we've ever seen that one where the lobster know. kills this guy. So anyway, great stuff. Um, I love this story. I love Tanchi Zanyich. And I just love all this mobster stuff. I mean, it's just fun. Oh yeah, no. I mean, the story was great. And anytime we get back to, anytime we get to go back to the lobster, it's always going to be a fun gangster Nazi killing time. Yeah, I really prefer him killing Nazis though. Oh yeah, okay. But what about Zuko Banana? Maybe he was a Nazi. Hmm. No. Oh man, there's some good stuff in here. Tony Maslow's Finest Hour. Uh, oh, that was a good one. Kevin Nolan, man. Oh, no. Uh, Tony Masso is by Joe Quirio. This other one is by Kevin Nolan. I got the name wrong. What is this one called? Uh, oh, you can't be a host of the Harold Book. I know. <laughs> oh, Satan Smells a Rat. That was the Kevin Nolan one. Yeah, these are some great stories. Is that Kaput Mortem in here, too? Oh, the Fumara stories in here? Gosh. There it is. Oh, it is. Yeah, Kaput Mortem is also in there. I have a page from that one. Awesome. Yeah, definitely run out and check out this Lobster Johnson omnibus if you haven't. It's absolutely stellar. Um, the art is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so for our next story, we're going to run over to the Witchfinder Omnibus. Witchfinder. 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 
Witchfinder. Here we're looking at the Witchfinder 2 omnibus, and there's a story in the very back. It's called The Great Blizzard. This is a short story that originally appeared in the Hellboy Witcher special from 2017. It focuses on Sir Edward Grey and Sarah Jewell in March of 1891. Written by Mignola and Chris Robertson, art by Christopher Mitten, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. So um, this is at the very end of the Witchfinder Volume 2 omnibus, so just recall at the end of the last Witchfinder story, The Reign of Darkness, that's in episodes 130 and 131 if you want to go check that out. In 1889, Sir Edward Grey, the Witchfinder, resigned from the Queen and teamed up with his new buddy Sarah Jewell working out of the Monk's Head pub to continue interfering with the Heliopic Brotherhood and August Swain, who you cast as Liam Neeson. Did I? All the way back then, yeah. Oh, I don't even remember that. <laughs> Liam Neeson is my shiznit! <laughs> anyway, um, so we open in Cornwall, March 1891. This is two years after Reign of Darkness. Cornwall is an actual city. It's a historic county and ceremonial county in southwest England. It is recognized as one of the Celtic nations and the homeland of the Cornish people. So we see um, Sir Edward Grey, and there's some narration boxes that's kind of telling us that it's the spring equinox in a week, but it's still winter, right? So there's still like a heavy blizzard coming. Um, snow has accumulated in all these places. And thousands of people and animals have lost their lives, and there's no end in sight. Sir Edward Grey writes, I have come to suspect that there may be some supernatural cause given the severity and sudden onset of the unseasonal blizzard. So he's teamed up with Sarah Jewell, and they're out there trying to discover it. And I love this line, Sarah Jewell's like, You better be right about this being some sort of hoodoo mixed up in all this, Eddie. I'm going to be sorely disappointed if I'm freezing my bits off here for nothing. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Love her. And Edward Gray says, uh, there's even precedence for storms in supernatural origin. So, of course, I had to take a history dive here. Excellent. Because um, he mentions, in the north, there are legends of Kaliach Boer. Kaliach. 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 The queen of winter who rules from Samhain to Beltane and summons the storms and snows at will. So... In Gaelic myth, the Kaliach is a divine hag and ancestor associated with the creation of the landscape and with the weather, especially storms and winter. So dope. The word literally means old woman hag and is found with this meaning in modern Irish and Scottish Gaelic and has been applied to numerous mythological folklore figures in Ireland, Scotland, and the Isle of Man. In modern Irish folklore studies, she is also known as the Hag of Vera or the Queen of Winter. It's so interesting. I always thought Kaliach meant witch, like straight up witch. Well, hag, I guess. Hag is sometimes synonymous with that. So oh. I, maybe that's like the translation. Yeah, it, I don't it, know. It didn't translate right or something like that. I have no idea. But anyway, um, I do love this depiction. And uh, I'll put like a side-by-side -side comparison, too, of oh, the, way, great. the way yeah. it's depicted here and then the way that it's depicted um, in the traditional folklore. Sir Edward Grey also says... There was also St. Bega in the Middle Ages to whom the great lord offered as much land as was covering by snow the following morning for her priory. It being midsummer, the promise would have been an empty one had Bega not miraculously caused a snowstorm to fall that night. St. Bega was said to own an enchanted armlet that had been given to her in Ireland by an angel. Okay, 
there's a huge dump on this Saint I'm Vega, sure. right? So I had to look up all this. Saint Vega was reputedly a saint in the early Middle Ages, an Irish princess. The account of Vega's flight from Ireland is found in this book called The Life of Saint Vega. It's part of a collection of English saints' lives that belonged in an abbey in Abbey Town, Cumbria, and is dated to the mid-15th century. Vega is associated in legend with a number of miracles, the most being a snow miracle. So that's kind of depicted here. So there's a lot of different versions of the St. Vega story and the snowstorm in different texts. So in all this research, I found out in Cumbria, there's a parish there called St. Bee's Priory. And in that priory, there is evidence of a cult forming around St. Vega. Like people were identifying themselves as like basically Vega worshippers. You know what I mean? So there's historical evidence of this in this priory in Cumbria. The writer of Life of St. Vega relates that St. Vega was given a bracelet in Ireland by a heavenly being, which she left behind in St. Bees when she traveled Northland. It was described as having a holy cross on it, which fits the style of the 9th and 10th centuries. The bracelet is mentioned several times in the charters of St. Bees Priory. And there's even like an oath by John of Hale where he wrote, having touched the sacred things and upon the bracelet of St. Vega. So there's like historical evidence that this bracelet existed and all this kind of stuff. Huh. There's a St. Bega Day and there's a hymn to St. Bega. But present day scholarship tends to treat St. Bega not as a historical personage, but as a cult. Mm. So there's doubts as to whether she actually existed. One scholar states, this is from Wikipedia, the discovery of inconsistencies between these medieval texts coupled with the significance attached to the jewelry now indicate that the abbess never existed. More plausible is the suggestion that St. Vega was a personification of the Cumbria cult centered on her bracelet. Mm, yeah, you so, can't be worshipping a woman. Yeah. You can't have a cult that worships a woman. So it, it was interesting because there's just a lot of, there's a lot in the Wikipedia entry about like the people historically talking about the bracelet and saying that they've touched it and all this kind of stuff. But then there's like no evidence that it ever existed sure. or that she ever existed. Sure. In so, the, in the uh, uh, witch finder here, it says uh, that it was prized as a holy relic uh, for generations until stolen by Scottish raiders some centuries later. Right. Okay. So, I mean, we kind of see the bracelet depicted there. Something that's interesting here in the visuals. I love this big panel, by the way, with the um, the witch or whatever. That's really cool on the left. But um, there's like, you know, it's it's kind of like a, I guess like an amalgam of images or whatever. But it's, I mean, obviously this is like a lot of artistic license being mm-hmm. given here but the there's an image of a woman that is also a mountain and her, on her hands uh as one of the rings like on her finger it's it's a ring on her finger the bracelet right is yeah. a ring on her finger and so yeah. then later she's wearing it as an armlet yeah on her arm so is that like the angel i guess like i guess yeah and like is the angel j- super big with giant fingers you know. or does it change size depending sure. on you know who's I just think it's interesting. Yeah, it's a cool look. Like, there's some cool details there in the art by Christopher Mitten. I really like that. So after this huge historical dump, right, learning about St. <laughs> Vega and Kaliak, uh, Sarah Jules like, you really believe all that bumkum, Eddie? Aren't you the one forever reminding me that legends often have bases in fact, he responds? Or have you forgotten that ghost of a flea in Great Titchfield Street? It looks like there is some historical reference to this ghost of a flea on Titchfield Street. I guess from William Blake, he wrote something about it. Okay. And William Blake's been referenced before in the Hellboy comics. 
I'm I'm not too clear on what that reference is. So if any of our listeners have that information, please let me know. I'd be interested to know more about that. So there is this kind of like creepy painting of some sort of monster called Ghost of a Flea. It's by William Blake. So maybe that's what Sir Edward Grey is referencing. Look at that. Mm. Okay. So as they're thinking that maybe they've gone too far north, Sarah Jewell points out, well, I'll be damned. Will you get a load of that? Oh my, Edward Grey says. And we see this incredible image. Uh, I love the art here of this like frozen ship. And it's yeah. kind of like frozen on the side, too. Like, it almost looks like a wave was carrying it. Yeah. Like, about to tip it over, and then everything just froze like that. Or it almost like kind of ran aground or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Edward Grace says, The newspapers have carried reports of ships running aground or floundering all up and down the coast since the blizzard started. But this is frozen. Frozen solid. And as we look inside, we see all the crew are completely frozen as well. Yeah. And they're still, like... And they're like, you know, the the position that they were when they they froze, like when they're actually, you know, like this one guy's pulling on the ropes and right. It's almost you know. like it happened like instantly, right? In that moment, right. they were all completely frozen. Yeah. As Mulder would have pointed out, captain's quarters locked from the outside. Oh. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, you know, it's like, like I I I can imagine them going through this and Scully being like, oh, it just looks like they all froze to death, and he's like in place while they were all doing their jobs on oh, the yeah. deck of the ship <laughs> i don't think so and whatever like i don't know i can just see them going through this and her being like well there has to be a rational explanation and him being like there's not right a witch did it you know what i mean <laughs> but here there's almost like two molders yeah because they're, they're yes they're, they're that's what I, I love it it's so great they're, they're both oh, like yeah so abs- i mean obviously a witch did this but like let's keep looking for other clues even though we both know a witch did this so sarah jewel notices that the captain's quarters are locked from the outside and edward gray bashes down the door i love that panel down there at the bottom as he's like uh forcing open the door and in there they find the they notice that it's colder in the captain's quarters than outside Captain, just what were well, you up to well, in here? Well, well, yeah. well. Look at what he's found. So we see the captain there, and he's like writing something, and he's holding the bracelet. You see the bracelet mm. there in his hand. So we cut back over. We're at the Monk's Head Pub. That's where Edward Gray and Sarah Joe are working out of now that he's It was quit. good to see it again. I remember being yeah. like, I know what this is. Yeah. And Edward Gray's writing in his, in his little journal. It looks like it's thawing everything. All the snow right. thawing off the roofs and off of the windows and everything in the street everything looks like it's thawing out and everything has like a warmer hue yeah now edward gray writes no sooner had i taken the bracelet from the man's dead grip than the storm outside suddenly ceased since our return i have made inquiries and i believe that i have the general sequence of events in order so sarah joe interrupts his right and she's like do you really think that doodad caused this whole thing mighty hard to credit you got to admit and so he's like i was just recording my thoughts on this matter <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the look on his face while he's saying all this shit? i know i think i have the gist of it at least based on what i've read in the ship's log and what i've since uncovered the schooner was carrying textiles from calcutta to dundee when her captain thomas mcdougall took ill on the return voyage i actually looked that up i couldn't find a reference to well that. yeah he was stricken with a debilitating fever and the ship's medic had been unable to do anything to halt the advance of the disease the captain's mother had given him an antique bracelet when he first went off to sea for good luck, an heirloom that had been in the McDougal family for generations. Family legend held that it once belonged to the princess who met the Queen of Winter in the wilderness. So that's the St. Bega amulet sure. or whatever, the St. Bega armlet or whatever. Yeah. And so Edward Gray says in the captain's final entry in the ship, he had the fever and he was praying for his fever to break, praying that the heat that plagued him might end. 
It would appear that the prayer was heard and answered, though, by whom I couldn't say. It's just a monkey's paw situation. Yeah, it's yeah. like you you want relief from the fever? Well, what if we just freeze you and the whole world and all of England at the same time? Nope. <laughs> just, the, just the gin rules. Uh, Sarah Joel asks, you sure it's a good idea bringing that thing back with us here? I love how she's lighting up a stogie <laughs> as she's saying that. That's a very, like, I just love that posing it's right great. there. It's very natural. Yeah. You know? It's very cool, too. Well, you see her getting it out earlier. She's got her tea, and then she picks out one of her cigars there at the beginning. Oh, you're right. That's a nice little detail. Yeah. She's picking out the cigar in the first panel. Were I still an agent of the crown, Ed Gray says, I'd have turned it over to the keepers at the Tower of London, but I'm my own man now, remember? And who knows? It could come in handy someday if it truly can whistle up a storm. And we see he's got it with all his all little his stuff. All his oh, stuff there. Oh. We see like a bell that kind of looks do. like Mufflomi's bell a little bit. Um, there's some cool stuff there. What's that big like wooden face I love or that whatever? Guy. But he's got it on a little pillow. Yeah. The little bracelet and stuff <laughs> like that. Very cool. I love this effect too of like the outside of the panel is all the snow yeah. and everything. Yeah. Really cool. I love coming back to Ed Gray and Christopher Mitten. Some really good for stuff. For sure. For sure. Excellent art. Good colors. Yeah, yeah and, great story. And it's a good of course, story. That's, you know. And of course, in the middle of this, I had to like shot. flip through all the Ed Gray stuff that we had been reading yes, prior to this. Right. Um, Reign of Darkness was so good. That was a great one. Um, that one had Panya in it. Uh, there is some really good stuff in this volume two omnibus. I really liked um, this weird one, hmm. Gates of Heaven. Hmm. That one was so weird, and the art was like really out. It was kind of like out of the box of what we've normally read. I really liked that one, too. Man, that's some good stuff. It's good looking back. If, hey, John, are you going to include all the witch finders in this omnibus <laughs> that we've gone over in the show notes? Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. If you check the show notes and if you haven't read the Witchfinder 2 omnibus or you just picked it up, now you can g- go through all the stories again with our podcast. So, yeah, I will link those in the show notes also. Witchfinder. 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 Very good. <laughs> all right. For our third short story today... Uh, We're actually reading a short story called The Longest Night. This was a short story featured in Hellboy Winter Special 2019, written by Chris Robertson and illustrated by Layla Del Duca. Layla Del Duca is a comic book artist and writer living in Portland, Oregon. She draws Sleepless, Shudder, and wrote Afar for Image Comics. She's also drawn The Wicked and the Divine, Scarlet Witch, Wonder Woman, American Vampire, and The Pantheon Project. Nice. Yeah, and colors by Michelle Madsen, letters by Clem Robbins. So this story is collected in the House of Lost Horizons, a Sarah Jewel mystery. So we actually haven't read that story. And this uh, short story appears at the very end of House of Lost Horizons, but it actually chronologically would come first. So this is kind of a cool third story to end on because we're going to read this story. And then when we come back to the Hellway Book Club next month, we're going to read House of Lost Horizons. So we haven't read House of Lost Horizons yet, but we're going to get to it. And this is a nice prelude. So we open in Braithwood at the Braithwood Mountain Inn in upstate New York in December 1924. And we see Sarah Jewell. She's in there with her partner, Murray Therese. We we met Murray Therese back in Reign of Darkness, Witchfinder Reign of Darkness. Okay. So um, her and Murray are trapped in this cabin with all these other people. And they're stuck in this blizzard. Sarah Jewell says, If we all stick together here until sunrise so no one else goes missing, the snow's got to let up. And then we can send someone down to fetch the authorities. 
And these people were like, oh, well, I guess this What about is the thing outside? Yeah. What about the scary thing? Right. They call it the boogum. <laughs> so I looked that up. I didn't see any reference to that. Um, but they said, what's to keep it from busting in and gain the rest of us? Maybe boogum is just like a like a kind of a slang for like boogity man. Right, or something yeah. like or, that. Or boogeyman or whatever. <laughs> Rest said you ran away from him as if he were the boogity man? Boogie man. Boogie? I'm quite sure. And they're like, oh, it's a shame what happened to poor Mr. Durant. And then we see like a shot of him like all dead on the ground. I like when they do stuff like that. It's just like some cool pacing. So Sarah Jo continues, legend has it that the Braithwood Boogam only walks abroad one night a year on the winter solstice from sunset to sunrise. In olden times, folks left their fires burning bright all night to keep the creature at bay. And told tales about those poor unfortunates who were fool enough to be wandering out in the dark when the Boogam came to call. And so Mary Therese is like, ah, oh, no need to be so melodramatic. And then there's this old guy there, he's like a crankety old man, and he's like, it's a bunch of malarkey, if you ask me, and a waste of my damn time. Damn. I like, I like his facial hair here. Yeah. The, what is that? What what, what kind of mustache is that? Like the, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, like the mutton chops that connects to a mustache. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it reminds me of, what's that guy's name who had that? Wilford Brindley? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that was good, Aubrey. I was like, who the heck is she nice. talking about? Now Aubrey's picking it up when you say that thing that I like, and Aubrey's like, oh. Yeah. I know what this is now. <laughs> good. That's that's good. I appreciate this. So we learned that this guy that was killed was uh, this old dude's brother. And he's like, now that my brother's been killed, there's only me left to look after the family business. I don't see why we can't get the hell out of here already. Sarah Jules says, I don't think that's what Marie Therese meant, uh, but I'm sure you're eager to get back to your family fortune. I just hope it was worth the cost, she says. And then the old guy's like, what's that supposed to mean? And she's like, you don't really believe the local legends about the Braithwood Boogum, Malcolm, and yet you didn't object when the others blamed it for your brother's death. But then you and I both know that the Braithwood Boogum did not kill your brother. You did. So there's this weird, like, I don't know. I, I thought this was kind of... Yeah. I thought this was kind of weird. It seemed like a little rush that, like, this happens <laughs> all of a sudden out of nowhere. This guy killed his brother, or there's this accusation, or whatever. I mean, we're we're coming into the middle of a short story. Yes. They only have eight pages right. to make this thing happen. I do. I I actually kind of liked that. I thought it was really interesting where he would. She like accuses him, and he's like, "Oh, that's preposterous." All right, I fucking did it. I right. don't know. I kinda, there was something about that. I was like, "Yeah, okay, let's let's move this along." Very good. Okay, well, okay. It was a, it was pretty unique. You have to admit, like it's it's original at least. Sure. Where yeah. it's like, no, I didn't. Yeah, okay, I did. Well, it it, it kind of feels like you know the the, the end part of a mystery where they reveal like who the whodunit part and you just skip all the beginning part and you just yeah. get to the uh, get to the end maybe that's what it is you're absolutely right it feels like the end of a longer story yeah it feels like the end of a mystery and you're like what really happened and then you find out at the very end anyway oh also i i just quickly googled uh wilford brimley and this guy looks like him kind of but the but like the... He didn't have the mutton chops oh, okay, connecting okay. to the mustache, but you're correct when you called the mutton chops. That's when the mustache connects to the sideburns. Oh, okay. So that's what that's called, and he does look like Wilford Brimley. So it's like as though they just wanted that guy, but yeah. to have mutton chops, <laughs> which is great. It looks fantastic. It looks awesome. Yeah, it looks good. So this guy Malcolm, you know, he's got the gun now. He brings out the gun. He's like, "All right, I did it. I found out he was trying to screw me out of my half of the business, but I showed him." And so he points the gun at them, and he's like, I'm getting out of here, and none of you can stop me. I don't really think that's the best idea, Malcolm, Sarah Jewell says. So he goes out into the snow, and as he goes out there, she's like, you're going to regret this. 
So we see him walking through the snow. I love this panel of him walking yeah. outside. Like you really get the sense of like, yeah. what are you doing out what there, you dude? Doing? Like it, there's so much snow, you're gonna freeze to death. They really set the the image of a being in a blizzard and stuff yeah. like that. Especially it looks so warm in that cabin. Yeah, it, it, it does look, like look nice warm in that cabin. Yeah, the colors were really great by Michelle Madsen on the story. Uh, <laughs> this guy's just like so it was it was just plain old murder. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's a big deal. I mean, Somebody else asked, there was never a Braithwood Boogum? And Sarah Jewell says, oh, I didn't say that. Far from it. Yeah. The and guy's we, fucked. We see that guy. The hell? It, describe the Braithwood Boogum when it jumps out. It's gross. It's pretty gross. <laughs> kind of looks like it's like it has no skin. Horrible. Right. It's got muscles with these long claws. Kind of a skeletal horse-like head. It reminds me of, did you see uh, Annihilation? With oh, the right. bear yeah. came out, yeah. kind of like that, but yeah. it's a, like a, it's got like devil horns. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Krampus. Yeah, it's like a Krampus a little bit too. Yeah. It's like a, yeah. it's like a Krampus skull Skellington with Krampus. no with no skin and or something like that. And it in the spine, the the neck is like really thick, jagged too. and like right. spines, big old dinosaur spines out the oh, side of it. And it's about it's bigger than the damn trees too. Oh yeah, oh, it's bigger it's than huge. the trees. <laughs> Horrific. Yeah, I love that. We forgot to mention it's bigger than these gigantic pine trees. Like he picks him up and he looks like a doll. The guy, like picks the guy. Yeah. He picks up the guy. We get a satisfying crunch as well in the bottom panel. Yeah. Crunch, crunch, crunch. We hear we hear in the next one. This page is horrific. This page is <laughs> ghastly. I, I love crunch, crunch, crunch. Ugh. One of them says, "Holy cats!" I like that. <laughs> I've, n- I've never heard that. Um, this guy's like, well, what do we do? And she's like, do you remember Do you remember the part where I said all you have to do is just not go outside right. until the sun comes up? That's the- literally what you have to do. <laughs> keep the fires burning bright and keep the door shut while the Braithwood Boogum walked around. Sarah Jewell says, but that's really how I knew the Boogum didn't kill Calvin Durant. We found his body at sunset, meaning that he'd been killed while the sun was up. The Boogum only walks abroad while the sun is down on the winter solstice. And now... Mary Three says, voila, dawn, she breaks. So we see the sun's coming up. Mary Three says to Sarah Jewell, so what do you reckon now that you've seen it up close? Some sort of demonic spirit? Sarah Jewell says, yeah, it looks a bit like that nasty we exercised back in Rajasthan, don't you think? One thing's for sure, though, it's not going back to hell empty-handed. Jason. Damn. <laughs> and there's like a smoking portal. <laughs> yeah, really cool. Rajasthan is an actual city in India. So I'll have to check out like what other I wonder what other if there's like demons or Oh, I, absolutely. Because I, I I tried to look for that. I looked for Rajasthan demon and stuff like that and I couldn't really find anything, but I wonder if there's like one that kind of looks like this Braithwood Boogum or I don't know, maybe I'm just reading too much into well, it. Well, I wonder if there are folks in Rajasthan who believe in uh certain religions that contain demons. Right, right. Yeah, so I thought this was a great like kind of intro into the Sarah Jewell book because it's going to be with the same team here. Yeah. And so when nice. we come back to the Hellboy Book Club next month, uh, we'll check out that story as well since it's been collected. And we've already got like a nice little intro into the characters. So sure do. I really like that. Um, what do you guys think of these like little short stories and Fun. stuff? Oh, they were a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's always great to get back to the uh, to yeah. back to the Mignolaverse. So back to your weird little guys. Yeah, yeah. and you know, the lobster is always fun, and Witchfinder is always great. <laughs> They're always Witchfinder. in situations. Witchfinder, Witchfinder, and 
and and I love Sarah Joel, and it's really cool that she's finally got like her own series. Yes, yeah. I'm so excited to get For into sure. the Sarah Joel mysteries, House of Lost Horizon. We'll be doing that next on the Hellboy Book Club. Excellent. So this is a little shorter episode than usual, but um, I kind of needed that this week because it's just been a tough week. And it's been a week. I didn't really have it? the time to do it's a lot of notes and. Uh, certainly certainly don't have a lot of time to edit this episode but um so a short little episode this week but we'll be back uh with book club member comics next week book club member comics yes and i'll link that in the show notes as well if you're not following us over there the hell you say yes we're doing some awesome comics over there we're having a lot of fun we just had a great episode that aubrey put together for us on uncanny x-men 201 it was a lot of fun yeah yeah i was really enjoying it like to have fun yes go over there so excellent uh we'll come back to the hellway book club next month and uh, let us know what you thought of these short stories. I'm excited to get some listener feedback. Let us know if you're enjoying the omnibuses and uh, revisiting some of these short stories. What are your favorite parts of the Witchfinder Volume 2 and the Lobster Johnson omnibuses that have come out? And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. That was fun. That was a lot of good stuff. And it's always great to get back to the Mignolaverse. And I want to hear what you thought about these stories. So you can send us a hey, you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. As always, you can always find all of our resources on our Podbean website, our Facebook About section, and our link trees on Instagram and Twitter. As always, a special thank you to Paul from Gatahan for their listener feedback theme. Thank you, Paul. And thank you, Andrew Adair, for the Witchfinder theme. Yes. Witchfinder. Witchfinder. How many times can we do this in one episode? I'm going to do a lot. <laughs> Shit, I do it at home. <laughs> thank you, Mark, for helping out with the reading order. Thank you, John and Danielle, for being awesome. Get the podcast wherever you get your podcast from, and when you're there, open it up and give us that five-star review. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, uh, tell a friend, because I'm pretty sure they'll love it, too. Yes, do it. And like John said, next week, we're going to be back over Book Club Member Comics, and we're going to be reading Catwoman, Lonely City. It's really good, you guys. It's awesome. By Cliff Chang. It's by Cliff Chang. So you guys know what to do. Pull out them omnis, those digitals, those trades, those floppies, and join us next week over at book club member comics and we'll be back in a month for hellboy book club podcast we sure yes, will we excellent. sure will we sure will thanks for listening everybody i'm john salinas i'm a big gross scary monster in the woods and i'm gonna crunch you crunch 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 <laughs> <laughs> i crunch you if you've got mutton chops and i'm aubrey lovelace saying plagiarize justice yes <laughs>